Welcome, listeners, to a podcast that seeks to ignite the flames of inspiration and empowerment within the ServiceNow community. I'm Farah Wells, your host and the director of Linking Humans, the number one global partner for ServiceNow recruitment. Join us on this journey as we venture deep into the world of ServiceNow leaders, discover the very essence of their motivations and the unique mindset that paved the way for their remarkable success. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's podcast. So today we have the amazing James Hammond with us today. Now, he's got 11 years experience with working within ServiceNow. He started his journey with the Aspen release. Um, Currently, he is a technical architect, and but most crucially, he has been part of the uh, and certified instructor program um, with ServiceNow. So, James, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you very much for having me. No, not a problem at all. So, yeah, so so brilliant. So, James, just to kind of, I think it's it's just so interesting uh, to hear your journey and. I'd love for you to share your background journey with us, you know, how you first got introduced to ServiceNow and, and how you've reached your current position, uh, you know, as an architect. Okay, so the getting into ServiceNow is quite a funny story. Some people who know me, I've told this before. So um, I'd been working in IT for about six, seven years before I'd actually got involved with ServiceNow. And that had been ranging from being a database developer to server and infrastructure management over time for small to medium to large enterprises. And because of uh, family stuff at the time, I had to take a proper nine to five job. So I took a second line um, job at a brand new company that was insourcing its team members. And in particular for insourcing, they decided to create a second line team of three people. It was myself, one other gentleman, and a team leader. And at the time, we had uh, an older partner called Partners in IT coming in. Uh, these guys would eventually, I think, go through the motions to become part of DXC, where they oh, are wow. now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, through the relevant partner acquisitions. And, uh, yeah, they were looking for some help with um, workflows at the time to generate some of the catalog item workflows. And they basically asked the second line team, because we were probably the most experienced at the time, can you help us out duplicating some of these workflows and changing some of the variables so that we can get stuff ready for testing? And um, you know those classic old films where you used to have the whole line of privates uh, with the general walking up and down, and then he says some really, really, really dangerous, crazy mission, and everyone steps back, but one guy is completely and utterly asleep at the wheel and stays where uh-huh. he is, and it automatically looks like he's volunteered. That happened to me. Um, <laughs> so I actually got completely into service now by accident. <laughs> so, yeah, not the well, not the greatest way in, but once I got in, um, I was lucky enough at the time that uh, I had some investment in me, so I got put through the system administration course because they knew they needed an internal sysadmin. And I was able to work on this Aspen release that was upgraded to Berlin within like months of me being um, being in post. So I was quite lucky to get in. So that's how I actually got started in service now. 
That's amazing. And, you know, you've achieved such great success, you know, reaching your current position as an architect. So what steps did you need to take in terms of navigating your career to, to be where you are today? Great question. So I think everyone's journey is slightly different because everything has to be based on who you are as a person. So when you want to find out where you want to go in certain areas, I feel like you have to really take the time to do a proper introspection on yourself. Are you this type of person that can operate in this area? Because in an architect realm, you have to be able to not only understand the product, but understand how other people would function using that product. So the main knowledge outside of IT is actually one of the factors of what got me up to the architect level of where I am now. Because learning how other people work, how other people interact with these tools and their ways of working gives you an idea of how the tool can be adjusted to either fit them or they can be trained to work with the tool. Mm. So understanding that level as well as the technical background is kind of a, a key to how you would make uh, yourself towards an architect now. Certain IT companies will keep you in different areas depending on the type of architect you are, but they essentially fall into three areas. You've got a technical architect, a process architect, and a solution architect. So I'll go through them in kind of three ways. So we start with the technical one that I'm currently doing now. Uh, you need a lot of domain knowledge of the actual platform itself, understanding the platform, the multiple areas of it, not just like one application, but understanding the fundamentals of how the platform actually puts together and then being able to express those ideas from within your area out to your clients, your team members. So not just your clients of using it, but also your team members on where you have the vision of the platform working. Mm. So that's kind of one side as a technical the process architect is where you're dealing with the idea of you understand a process, whether that's things like project management, so you understand things like Prince2, Agile, those bits, or you understand the ITSM processes because you're ITIL v4 certified, or you know some of the other types of ITSM processes. But understanding how those processes work, then feeding into the tool is where you get it. So... And then you've got the solution architect, which is supposed to be looking at the business problem and where ServiceNow fits in it. So you don't get a lot of technical depth of knowledge of the platform, but it's more a case of understanding the realm of how the product works and then how it would fit in with other solutions within the business. So that's kind of your three areas. So mm. depending on what area you want to focus on, you need to kind of build your technical, you need to build your well, I'll say technical knowledge, but building your knowledge of those areas as well as the platform itself. Yeah, that's amazing. And and how did you choose to be the architect that you are today? Was it by 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 like you say by analysing yourself, or was it more guidance from others? The combination of both. So, um, not a lot of people know this, but I was actually a member of the uh, the British Computer Society, the BCS Chartered Institute for IT since 2009 wow. and in different areas of bcs they have specialist groups these specialist groups range from things like animation and games design to data center management to 
service and asset management, which is what you've got at the moment. I've been a member of that for a number of years, and I've been lucky to be able to interact with some. I've been able to talk to people who wrote the original ITIL books. Wow. You know, when you've got access to those level of people, you've got the ability to not only understand yourself, but also understand the areas you're going to work in because you work, you've got the background knowledge of people who have been there and in some cases literally, literally written the book. Mm. They've written the book on this particular area. So, yeah. Yeah, that sounds amazing. And, you know, I think that that kind of ties in with, um, you know, how important it is to have good mentors, you know, particularly at the early stages of your career um, to give you that guidance. Like, have you had any mentors yourself or role models and, and how have they influenced your journey? I've been lucky enough to have uh, two mentors within uh, from BCS perspective and actually three. One was really, really early in my career, was a manager who at the time told me that I needed to learn where, if I wanted to get to this management sort of level, whether I was a technical person with management skills, I was a manager with technical skills. It's the way he put it, to understand that dynamic. And once I figured out what area I wanted to go down, it was easier to do that. But um, I've had two BCS mentors, one being a gentleman called uh, Charles. Uh, he's been around for like 45 years he's been he's been everywhere within the system and then uh another gentleman from texas uh, mr daniel uh breston he's basically one of the biggest process nuts i've ever seen in my life but his background knowledge and experience is absolutely vital but in all those cases i was lucky enough to find somebody who was willing to impart their knowledge on me so that's why I'm part of mentoring schemes elsewhere to impart that knowledge and experience again onto the next generation. Okay, brilliant. So, you know, I think mindset is uh, and attitudes, you know, are quite instrumental in anybody's journey. How did you develop your current mindset to achieve what you have and, and how do you maintain it as well? That's, that's, that's an expansive question, if nothing else. Um, so I believe it or not, I actually come from a bit of a, a massive high, uh, massive secondary school bullying uh, thing that I used to do, and most of my initial mindset was actually, as a younger kid, was actually uh, based around the Rocky films. The the understanding, uh, the you know, maybe a character in a film, but the the understanding of the mindset of just constantly you know, putting forward, understanding, pushing forward and not giving up on things is kind of where that come. And then based on those bits and pieces, I've spent a lot of time working around the idea of ways of working and moving towards stoicism. Actually, when I, when I realized that stoicism, when it came across uh, a couple of years ago, it's actually one of the most, uh, it's one of the most Clear ways of thinking uh, really, really helped me out um, as understanding the idea that the only thing that I actually have control over at all in the universe is my reaction to things. You know, literally, that is the main thing. I am only in control of my actions and my reactions. And once I learned that idea that actually it's on me, mm. everything's on me, I've got to move forward. I'm the one who has to push to learn to do things then it is that basic way of just uh, 
getting that mentality in place of it's it's up to me. It's my my role, my life, my choices. And when I got to that mentality, it was a case of then looking for things that were going to help me, what fits best for me, and doing that introspection to understand what fits me as a person. And yeah, so years of learning the idea of, so yeah, the Rocky uh, idea of the resilience, you know, literally standing there taking the beatings and still coming through as a person, learning to be expansive and intelligent in my ways through uh, Star Trek. It's probably a little known fact, but I've actually seen every single bit of material done by Star Trek ever. So <laughs> I'm actually massive all the way through. And most people are like, oh, yeah, you're Kirk and Picard. I'm like, I'm a Cisco man. Because people don't realize that when that particular series had the idea of there's so many choices, you're not going to be able to make the right one all the time. You are going to make some decisions that are not in everyone's best interest. They're only sometimes in your own. So learning how to do that, then learning through stoicism and other bits to build out what I can control, what's mine. is kind of the, the resilient mindset I've built out. And just if I know what I want, then we can go through and get it. It's just that simple. And I know that sounds really kind of, that can sound really aloof and not really, and kind of disconnected from other people. But if you really sit down and chew the fat, that mentality of understanding things are my choice and my actions, I can make that work. It's, it's up to me to do that. And yeah, opportunities will present themselves. And if you're in a position to be able to push forward and you know you want something, you've got to learn to take those opportunities when they present themselves. That's amazing. You know, that, that's fantastic. And I, and I love that. And you know what resilience, you know, it, you know, it's so essential in navigating like the ups and downs, um, particularly, you know, when you're in quite a challenging industry, like, how did you build that re resilience? Like what, what strategies do you employ, especially to bounce back from setbacks? Because I think that's the, the thing. Everyone can be resilient when things are going great. But what about when things are not so great? How do you bounce back from that? Um, techniques that actually are used for by psychologists as, as the one I actually spent a long time understanding myself. Uh, simple things that force you to actually interact with the world. So I get mm. up every morning and I make my bed and I brush my teeth and I wash my face every single morning. Simple, silly things that everyone thinks are so are, are trivial matters, but taking the time to actually sit down, figure out what's going on and doing the basics every single day are the baseline of my resilience of how, how I personally work. And these, yeah, these are techniques that psychologists use for people who have severe depression or mm. other mental health disorders. It's the idea of the basics. You get up at a certain time every day, you do a set of activities, you have a routine. And once you take that routine out, what you'll also find is that some of the smaller decisions you make every day, because literally when even waking up is a decision you have to make, you actually remove a lot of the anxiety that you can sometimes feel when you're especially under pressure. Mm -hmm. So having that mentality of a basic routine every single morning, and then at the end of your workday, because everyone's workday ends, making sure to write down every single thing that needs to be done the next day. You know, physically closing the book, because especially with us working from home a lot, 
not changing, not having a set routine sometimes, it's mm. absolutely crucial to be able to switch from one mindset to another. Mm. And being able to write down everything that you know has to be done the next day, write it down, close the book. So that's why those little notebooks that everyone gets given sometimes on the inductions are absolutely fantastic just for doing that one activity. Once you've yeah. closed the book, put the book away, forget about it until the next day. And then it's part of your morning routine. You do all your bits and then you open your book to see what's yeah. there. Yeah, that's amazing. And, and, you know, I think it also it's that having that consistency of that routine, right? So, yes. Um, absolutely. It kind of, you've got a purpose, you know, for the day. You've got a purpose in life mm-hmm. uh, getting up for. And, and I love the, the, the book, you know, you, you write it down and you close the book because exactly how you mentioned it's since since we've all been working from home those lines are really blurred you know normally you'd go to especially even with mobile phones having emails on our phones right 100 percent, 100 percent. in fact i've even got to the point of my phone i've actually got my account set up so that i am only ever disturbed by my phone during my working hours yeah so if you try and my phone won't beep uh after 6 p.m each day oh, and I also you teach me how to do that <laughs> <laughs> if you're if you're a company that uses Microsoft 365 it's relatively simple yeah. to do right uh, and it's in uh, something called Viva Viva Insights is what they at Microsoft use for 365 but yeah making sure your phone don't beep after 6 yeah. p.m is a godsend and yeah. also making sure that your phone uses some type of uh, health mechanism so I'm a I'm a heavy mm. Android user and the health mechanism means that I've got my bedtime set at 11 o'clock. So yeah. my phone will does go straight on to do not disturb at 11 p.m. every night. It takes all the color out of the screen, removing the blue light and other bits and pieces that a lot of people find distracting. And then it automatically tells my brain I need to wind down, need to stop thinking about things and move off the device, essentially. So, yeah, using the technology will help you get into that routine. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I I don't know about yourself, but I know for me, even though I'll put my phone on silent, I'll still check it. 10 o'clock at night, I'm still checking my emails. (laughs) How how do you physically put your device down to kind of go, you know what, it is gone past six. I'm not, how do you get into that mindset? I'm a heavy mobile gamer. So I quite like playing mobile games. So when the color goes from the screen because of that little health setting, it stops me from actually being able to play the game properly. So I've got no choice but to put it down. So like that simple mental cues to go with the consistency and the routine. You know, Mm -hmm. sometimes we can't always follow the routine, but consistency is the absolute key to forcing yourself to stop using the device. And sometimes, you know, have your phone in another room. Don't use it as an alarm clock, you know, um, have a book by the bed instead because a book you physically pick up, open up, read, you know, Mm -hmm. changes the mindset before you try and, um, go to sleep yeah amazing perfect great tips there so you know i i you know i i think everybody has this we all have moments of, of anxiety of doubt of imposter syndrome it doesn't matter how confident we are you know how do you kind of manage to overcome those feelings or how, you know of insecurity that you've had perhaps throughout your career like how have you kind of any sort of strategies you can share with us <laughs> strategies so imposter syndrome first off that one i permanently suffer with it even though i've done all these bits and pieces and i may sit in these positions that 
I get put in by other people, believe it or not, or I put myself in. I permanently live with imposter syndrome because it's that permanent idea that you are not good enough. But in my case, it's the idea of following my routine every day gives me that basic mentality that I'm there. And sometimes you need to find uh, affirming activities. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> it's actually a bit of a weird one, but I, I actually recite I actually recite a mantra that was I found actually in um in an X-Men comic, believe it or not. So there's another random thing. So Star Trek to X-Men. Uh Wolverine, one of the characters, you know, Hugh Jackman became famous playing. But the original character in the comics is actually someone who's over 150 years old, really dark, seen a lot of things. And his affirmation is every uh, New Year's, they put the resolutions up in the comics, and he's always got exactly the same resolution every year. To be the best there is at what I do. I am the best there is at what I do. That's the way that I put myself across. That's the way I try to treat every situation. And I spend all this time with a lot of anxiety, a lot of dealing with these bits and pieces every single day. But it's a case of looking, sometimes just taking five minutes, looking in a mirror and saying, I am the best at what I do. And half the time it builds that basic level of resiliency to get me that first step through the meeting or through that piece of work or through something else. And once I've got the first step, the brain automatically will kick in and finish it because uh, there's a there's a little known, uh, the name escapes me, but there's basically a technique. Have you ever been, uh, you know, you don't like a movie, you're sitting in a cinema, but once you've started do, watching a movie, you have to finish it. Mm. Or, you know, you're you're reading a chapter in a book, and you have to finish it. There's actually something hardwired into your brain that once you start something, your brain has to complete the activity. So if mm. I get myself over that first step and start doing it, my, I, my brain literally just won't let me stop until I actually finish it. So yeah. that's how I get that's through that bit. No, that's brilliant. That's perfect. And and also, you know, I think adding to that, you know, anybody that does have, I think you need to have a certain level of, of anxiety because what it's going to do is going to always give you that beginner's mindset, right? Yes. You always want to 100%, learn. yeah. Um, and, and I think for you as well, James, you know, you've, you've done some amazing ServiceNow certifications, you know, I think most importantly, you know, the certified instructor program, I mean, you're one of very few people in the UK that's achieved that. Um, it, first of all, tell everybody what, what is that and what does it do and how did you get into it? Oh, yeah. Great question. So, I became a certified instructor, something I've actually wanted to do since around 2016, and it took me a while to get into it, so three or four years. But the idea is that uh, it's run by ServiceNow. If you work for a ServiceNow partner, then they have to be a member of that particular program to let you do it. And what that essentially allows you to do is you become an instructor for one of ServiceNow's uh, courses that they do, where they do instructor-led training. That allows you to deliver those courses. You're certified by ServiceNow to deliver that course. And when you do it, there's a bit of a process you have to go through to be able to do it. So there's criteria you have to hit. So you have to have done the course within the last six months that you want to be able to teach. So they actually resend you on the courses if you've had the cert for a while. You have to have been at least a CSA and you have to have the implementation specialist cert 
for that particular subject. So for me, I'm actually uh, across the whole item suite. I have certifications for all of them. And you have to have done at least one project in that area. So you have to have been at least registered with ServiceNow for one project to be able to say that, yeah, this person's not only learned the course, they've been certified and they've implemented it in the real world. So you have that baseline. And that's just the criteria to start on the program. When you go into it, you have to pick the courses that they want you to do. So for mine, it was the service mapping courses, both fundamentals and advanced. And once you've done them, you have to put yourself through a testing session. So ServiceNow have their own internal instructor training where you have to go through and do the instructor training to figure out how they want you to deliver courses, the way that you mark people, the way that you interact with people. So they train you how to interact with people. And then on your final exam for it, you have to do a recorded meeting session. So the master trainer will come on, someone who's already trained in that particular area, and they'll run the equivalent of a small course over 40 minutes. So they'll ask you to introduce yourself, do your first introduction. They'll give you a section of the course, which may include a an instance. So you have to do demonstrations during that particular part. And then they'll ask you to do a course ending. So while you're doing that, the instructor will actually, on the recording, interact with you. He'll throw you trick questions and, you know, uh, be complete. Sometimes he'll be a complete novice. Sometimes he'll throw something in that he knows is actually a trick question to try and Mm. throw you off. But they're checking how you flow, how you deal with these things. And then you have to, that call, that recording is then reviewed before they allow you to become an instructor. So that's uh, how you get through to it. And then you then get put onto the public courses. So I've been teaching people from things like the home office and places around halfway around the world. Oh, oh no. wow sounds sounds amazing and and you know especially for perhaps like people that are just joining the service now industry like the next gen community how important are service now certifications they are important and they're important for a couple of reasons i think from a business perspective um there's service now rules that says that i need certainly certified certain certified people on projects for them to be valid in the first place so from a ServiceNow perspective, you know, they won't let you, they won't appreciate you putting in event management if you haven't been certified in event management. But on the flip side, actually doing the certification, at least to my mind, validates your experience in your ability to pass the test. Mm-hmm. It's just literally, for me, it's more of a badge of honor. Um, there are, like I said, there are, there are business recommendations about why you want to do it. But if you've been through the course, you've done the work, you know your bits, it becomes more about a badge of validation. So you can say to yourself, yeah, I did that. I'm good enough. And yeah, that's where, from my perspective, there are a couple of ones that are really, really crucial. But sometimes they're not actually courses that you need to do. And I, they're the sorts of things I'd expect everyone in the ecosystem to do, not just mm. developers. So things like the certified system admin, understanding the platform, how it works is, is vital. Scripting fundamentals. Even if you're a project manager, doing just scripting fundamentals will give you a, a really good insight into the level of work that the devs are actually doing in the first place. Even if you don't understand scripting yourself, 
doing that course will give you an introspective of how they work. So when you're on a project and they say, no, this, this is causing us problems, we're trying to work through it. You as a project manager have a level of understanding about why that's happening in the first place. Through to being, if you're a dev, absolutely scripting fundamentals is vital for you to understand the platform. And then it's not so much a cert as understanding the area that you're working in. So if you're somebody who is uh, installing project management the, the service portfolio, having an idea of how things like Agile works, project management uh, bits and pieces, how the project managers actually think and work is vital to give you the, the really good way of how that one works. Because I came from a server and infrastructure background, the ITOM suites are perfect for me because I have a background in how they originally work and I know how to apply them in the platform. That's brilliant. That is. That's wonderful. So thank you, James, for sharing that with us. And, you know, ServiceNow, it's, it's rapidly evolving, you know, platform. It, it has new features. It has updates. How can, how can everybody, young professionals, everybody stay up to date with, you know, the latest advancements and just make sure that their skills remain relevant and in demand? Great question. So ServiceNow have their own way of doing it, which is the Now Learning platform. Now Learning will have courses available for you. What If you're looking to maintain knowledge, it's a good way of figuring out. It's going through the notes on the documentation site, docs.servicenow.com, looking at the release notes to see what has changed. Focus your, fo your learning on what has actually changed because things like service mapping, we're currently on Vancouver. That hasn't had any upgrades since uh, Tokyo. So because there's been no upgrades or changes to the suite since Tokyo, I don't need to worry about that. But I do need to worry about the CNDB changes, the now platform features, and actually just focusing on the changes. Don't focus on trying to learn everything from scratch because you should have been learning that already. Um, but focusing just on those changes will give you a way of being able to understand where you need to go and what you need to accomplish. Yeah, that's brilliant, that is. And, and is there anything like online communities or anywhere like where you know service now professionals outside of like their current organization they can go to and, and ask people for advice like is there any anywhere that these guys can go so there is a couple of online sites so the service now community is a great resource the amount of times it's on community and community is indexed by google so if you google it it will come up with community posts and websites. That's good. But if you're looking to talk to people in real time, and if you're looking to talk to people, it's very, very precise, almost sniper focus on one area. Then there are two main communities. The first is uh, Discord. So for us who are gamers, there is a Discord server run by a lovely gentleman called Tim Woodruff. And it's a place where you can get not just technical questions answered there's also areas where you can actually have your code reviewed so if you're looking for people outside of your business you know you're an assist admin trying to accomplish something you've not got a big team to help you out that is a really good technical resource to be able to do bits there is also a slack community and this is uh, available through sndevs.com and it's essentially two different bits of software but the slack one has a lot more introspective uh, from the United States and a lot more 
people outside of that in Asia Pack as well. So you can find sometimes that it's a really good resource if you can't find somebody on Discord to help you. Slack will be the other place to look at. And those two are kind of the fixed resources out of the community where you find the most amount of developers with the broadest set of knowledge. Yeah, that's so helpful. That's amazing, that is. Um, and um, so just kind of reflecting on your own sort of career journey, what advice would you give to young ServiceNow professionals? Um you know, aspiring to enter the industry or, or follow a similar path to the levels that you have? Be prepared to work is <laughs> the most, is the simplest one that you can uh, do, but making yourself available for the opportunities. The more places you go, the more places you socialize, the bigger amount, larger amount of opportunities you will get. And it's mm. taking those opportunities when you see them because nine times out of 10, you're going to find that you'll have loads and loads of opportunities and there'll be one or two really golden ones where you'll be able to move yourself forward. But having that perseverance to stay social, stay out with these people, trying to get involved face-to-face where you can is a really good way of um, making sure that you push forward and do that. And it's the more social you are, the more interactive you are, not just outside of the business, but actually within the business yourself. Wherever you're working right now, building those social connections internally will help you forward. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's great, great advice. When you mentioned about socially, like outside of of work, like where do you hang out, James? (laughs) So, (laughs) where can we find you? Well, you can find me mostly online um, because that's uh, my that's my jam normally. Um, Myslink.app forward slash JS Hammond is my my kind of online digital signature uh, card. So you can find all of my social places there. But in respect, I've got two main areas that I do social outside of it. One is the ServiceNow Developer Meetup. I've been going since 2015. It is absolutely worth going and getting involved. They don't have as regular meetups as we used to do, but they're available on meetup.com. And the other one is another meetup.com that I'm actually working on with a few of my colleagues called uh, Now Professionals. We're basing ourselves out of London because that's where most of us are based. But the idea being that we're out, we're doing social stuff. We're not just doing a lecture on bits and pieces. We're actually just trying to interact socially between each other. But just devs, but the project managers, the business analysts, even recruiters when they want to get involved. Yeah. Being able to talk to all of these people, find out the the nuances of where people are working, where people are getting challenges. Because nine times out of 10, that old style pop mentality, just going down and releasing attention, is actually a really good way of building up social backgrounds with people. And this mm-hmm. will help you get on because there will be people thinking, actually, I need somebody. And oh, yeah, he spoke about that the other night. Maybe I'll go and chat to him. And that will help you generate more opportunities. Yeah, that sounds amazing. And with the developer meetup, actually, like what happens in that setting? So ServiceNow's developer meetup is run roughly Mm. once a quarter. And they'll have people coming in who are sometimes certified master architects and sometimes people with connecting areas. They'll come in Mm. and they'll do a lecture on a really good project that they're working on. Uh, Last one I went to had a whole idea around uh, crypto setups how crypto interacts with service now from a contracts perspective 
of being able to, you know, store contracts in a crypto environment to make sure that they are uh, using blockchain, essentially. Yeah. Those bits. So, yeah, that's essentially the bonus I've going versus the profession, now professionals one where it's just being social with people. You know, you'll, you'll have mm-hmm. every subject from Star Trek versus Star Wars versus uh, United and Liverpool. <laughs> Depending on what takes your fancy, and a few drinks to go with it, right? Oh, so, <laughs> well, let's, uh, it's always nice for the social lubricant. Where if you're that, but the simple fact is, is that I spend a lot of my time teetotal, so I'll go to mm. these things and I won't actually consume. So, it's it's something for everybody essentially. Absolutely. No, it sounds amazing. So yeah, brilliant. And you know what, you know, I think you you come across as so humble, James, and you've achieved so much. (laughs) You're looking at me like, well, but you know, (laughs) it's just, yeah, absolutely. How have you managed to stay grounded and and be humble, but achieving such greatness that you have in your life? God. Oh, that's a, that's a really, um, that's a, okay. That's a tough question. I think I'm someone who, who believes that nothing ever happens off of one event. It's always a chain of chain of events, a chain of choices like dominoes falling, where these things yeah. happen. If you are being consistent and you are being true to yourself and you are turning up to put in the work every single day, it will get noticed. People will look at it. And you will be able to build those social connections and the background knowledge that will get you into the areas that you're looking for. And it's just, yeah, that idea of getting up every day and knowing, I mean, in what world do people not go to work every day? I mean, it's literally only the the super rich, you know, who don't get to go to work every day. So some of us, even, even, you know, people who... this, This applies whether you're, you know, a single parent or if you're somebody who's building the most burgeoning career at all you go to work every day so Mm. that mentality just builds that level of bits and yeah you realize that you're not always you you're you're the person who's in control you're responsible and when you realize that you're responsible it builds that level of humility yeah that's amazing and and you know the way you talk as well i can just see how passionate you are about about it as well so and that obviously adds to it as well so it's brilliant so perfect so look one final question we're gonna go back to the future now you know you could be marty mcfly you know I'll be Doc Emmett, and uh, if you could go back you know in a time machine talk to your 21 year old self what advice would you give him and this can be totally non-work related as well oh, oh um I don't know if I was dreading this question at all. Um, <laughs> like I said, uh, I was somebody who spent a long time with uh, severe depression bits. I was actually, a comment was made on my 21st birthday that, you know, a family member actually said that um, we, we there were times when they thought I wouldn't make it. And so if I was going to go back to that person, I would actually say, you made it. You are going to make it. Keep doing what you're doing. You will make it. If I'm, if yeah, that's what I would say to him. Yeah, that's. Do you know what? That is 
amazing you know and truly James you know I can hand on heart say that you're one of the nicest people that I know and for sure you know you have made it you know you you the way you help others um is it, it just means so much to the community so so yeah on that note I just like to say a huge thank you to James um uh, for, for sharing your experiences and I really hope that this will you know help everybody out there um achieve you know, a quarter of the success that you've had. So a huge thank you, James. Thank you very much for having me, taking the opportunity. It's been fantastic. And I hope that if this, whoever does get something from this, uses it to go 100% further than me, not just even a quarter. I wanted to go 100% further than me because we're not going to get where we need to be in the ecosystem unless people start pu pushing themselves to the limits, getting up to those levels. That's amazing. Brilliant. Thank you, James. Thank you Thank very you much. So much. Thank you.